Recorded live. Contractor shop, visit them at www.johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at Clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com, and C-M-M-Online.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. You can also download the show by going to our website, www.ieqradio.com, and following the link that says go to the show. The show is also available through iTunes. Don't forget, you can obtain your ABIH-CM points IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or ACAC, Renewal Credits, by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the, kit, the, the quiz. Remember, Radio Joe's email is joe.use at ieqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Now it's time for the trivia question. When a cool prize 
by out-competing IEQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your, your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. Andy Krozowski, Comcast Battle Products, Mars PA, for answering our last trivia question. Uh, the answer was modified atmosphere packaging, and that is the FDA's approved use of carbon monoxide in edible meat. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, December 6, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the environment typically used in manufacturing or scientific research that has a low level of environmental pollutants such as dust, airborne microbes, aerosol particles, and chemical vapors. More accurately, this environment has a controlled level of contamination that is specified by the number of particles per cubic meter at a specified particle size. Today's guest is Tom Grillo, who started his career in the IAQ test and measurement industry as National Sales and Marketing Manager and Technical Service Manager at Airflow Technical Products from 1991 to 1997. Thereafter, Tom was with the Environmental Engineering Group at Hatch, Mott, McDonald, working with large remediation products where he was directly involved with outdoor air quality projects and emissions monitoring. He was also a project manager with BT Western Corporation in the automotive industry, managing the validation processes and vendor audits for new product development for various car makers. Tom is currently working with various test service organizations, universities, and commercial partners to help improve IAQ-related testing equipment and provide more access to information for the consultants, contractors, and end users of these types of testing information. Tom is currently National Sales Manager at Canamax USA for HVAC, IH, IAQ, IFT, R&D, and Automotive R&D. And I think we have some suitable music for his type of product. Jess? Tim. 
Okay, Tom, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, thank you for joining us. And Glad to be here. And can you tell us a little bit about how a particle counter works and whether all the dips, uh, different types of particle counters use the same technology? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cliff, first I want to thank you and Joe and Jess for having me today. Oh, thanks. Um, now, addressing your question, um, how does a particle counter work? Uh, basically, it's uh, a laser transmitter that's sending a signal, of, and it's a light frequency, and it creates a light scattering, a diffused light scattering on particles. The optics are able to then see that light scattering, and based on that, it creates a value, um, a signal value, that can then be equated to an actual count. Um, now, are they all the same technology? Most of them are similar, but they, you know, quite uh, quite often there could be different laser type sources. There could be helium neon, laser diode, as well as different frequency or wavelengths um, that could be used. Cool. Thank you. Well, do these things go out of calibration? If they do, do you know why they go out of calibration? And do they ever need to be recalibrated? And how would that be done? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, just like most instrumentation, you know, there is a tendency for instruments to drift or for there to be a need to uh, certify and maintain uh, its, its proper operation. Uh, so calibration is absolutely recommended. Uh, typically, these units are, we recommend at least once a year, but of course we own a particle generation lab. <laughs> and um, how are they calibrated? Uh, we have a particle generation system that runs off of um, high purified air, um, high pressure purified air, and NIST traceable uh, particles that are basically uh, a polymer, uh, uh, poly, uh, yeah, uh, a thermoscientific product that is NIST traceable for a specific, si a specific particle size, uh, say 0.3 microns, 0.5 microns, and so on. And you aerosolize that mixture of either uh, research-grade alcohol and those particles or even water, uh, uh, purified water, and those, and those particles um, into a chamber. And typically, you would have a high-quality reference unit. Uh, in the case of Canomax's lab, we use a uh, 0.1 micron uh, as its smallest size uh, helium-neon laser uh, proprietary uh, particle counter that we actually don't commercialize and sell. Um, we've only recently just started uh, reintroducing the thought of actually offering it, but it is a lab-grade standard. And then we're able to do our portable and our handhelds by doing a direct reference to that standard in a chamber simultaneously. I see. And then the machine is adjustable. I mean, there's there's something on there that the technician uses in order to zero this thing in in the test. Well, yeah, with with any particle counter, the precision of the count comes from the actual referencing of the of the particles that are in that chamber, and then tuning that output. Uh, I mean, you can literally have a particle counter that can have up to a you know a hundred channels or a hundred particle sizes if you really wanted to. Um, it's it's just all in the precision and the uh, capability to set those points uh, based on those size ranges. Now, um, as far as, uh, I'm sorry, continue, Cliff. Okay, I think we have Radio Joe and uh, his students down in Greenville. Uh, we can turn over to Joe for some follow-ups. 
We do. Hi, right, Cliff. Oh, hey. Tom. Great hey, to have Joe. you with us. Nope. Uh, appreciate Glad you joining here. us. Listen, I, I'm in a separate room from the gang. I want to say hello to the, the, the crowd over in the other room listening in, and uh, they're very interested in this topic. It's a great topic. I have a quick question on particle size. At the low end, these are typically measuring, it, it will say 0.3 micrometer particles. What's the smallest? Is it those 0.1? So am I actually getting like 0.1 to 0.3 or 0.1 to 0.4? How big, you know, how big of a range am I getting when it says 0.3? Well, Joe, there's there's different types of meters. You have these types of meters, which we're talking about, optical uh, particle counters, OPC, uh, okay. as a reference. And you also have uh, condensation particle counters, CPC. Um, CPCs tend to be able to get down into the nanometer uh, diameters. We're talking uh, 10 nanometers, um, you know, 15 nanometer size particles where you're actually able to count from, say, uh, the particle count from 10 nanometers up to one micron, or in some cases okay. where they can actually do classification similar to SMPS devices. Optical, op optical particle counters tend to start at 0.1 microns, and these are some of the higher powered laser type units, whether the old style was the helium neon, they've been doing that for a number of, you know, uh, easily over a decade uh, with helium neon, and um, we're able to get down to the 0.1s, and now there's a few vendors that actually, uh, not including Canamax, but uh, that have a 0.1 micron uh, laser diode type unit that requires some additional cooling internally for the lasers to be able to get down to that size, to be able to uh, produce enough power to get a resolution that the optics can actually see uh, the reflection on or the light scattering measurement uh, from a 0.1 micron size particle. But it is, it is feasible. Most typical particle counters that you're going to find in the marketplace for uh, ISO class 4 and up uh, tend to be, uh, they start at 0.3 microns. And I'm curious with the CPC type, is that also the, what you described? Is that commonly referred to like as an ultrafine particle counter? Right. And basically what you're dealing with is a unit that, um, that takes a uh, lab-grade, research-grade alcohol and um, condenses it. It's, it goes into a saturator, and uh, the flow of the air with the particles comes through, and then it's condensed, and the particles bind with the... Um, uh, molecules of the alcohol, and that's what we're actually able to count. You know, the optics themselves can't see the 10 nanometer diameter particle or the 0.15, uh, I'm sorry, the 15 nanometer diameter particles. It it sees the actual refraction from the, 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 the reflection or the light scattering off of the alcohol molecule. So you've got to add this alcohol separately, and that's a Correct. part of the process. Okay. Exactly. It actually right. goes into the meter in a little chamber, a uh, uh, little canister that gets filled in felt ends, and it goes into the unit. And uh, yeah, yep. Let's go to the and, other a end. Of the a meter with scale. a consumable. <laughs> I got you. Now let's go to the other end of the scale. If I've got my particle counter that goes up to what five micrometer, I guess some go up to ten micrometer particles. Let's say I've got one that's um, got the ten mic. I don't know what's the high end on your five. Your five—I uh, don't know what you call it—five particle. Well, we have uh, we have uh, a few different units. We have two handhelds. One of them is a three-channel, uh, does 0 0.3, 0 0.5, and 5 micron, which is very typical for 
say an ISO class 6, 7, or ISO class 8, where, or if people are referring to the federal 209 standard, uh, you know, a 100,000 classification, um, you're, you're dealing with, you know, particles that only, you're, you're not having to have that wide breadth. You're dealing with larger particles in a larger quantity um, where you have to have more precision and uh, more channels available in the lower range, though, uh, is when you get down into the class five, class four uh, uh, area of certification. Um, the largest particle sizes that we have in our portables uh, are 10, 10 microns. So we do 10, 5, 1, uh, 0 0.7, 0 0.5, 0 0.3, and so on. That's your standard. Um, you see people call it a six-channel laser particle counter. People doing indoor air quality surveys, they'll, they'll bring Correct. it out. Okay, and then when you say 10 at the top end, is it still looking at, or is it still seeing and counting particles that may be 15 micrometers? Most, well, here's the thing. This is, and that's, and that's a really good question because a particle that's greater than 10 typically is not going to stay airborne. It's, it's, a fa it's falling debris. Okay, mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. not staying airborne. Um, you know, PM 2.5 is what's basically your your airborne uh, particulate that's going to stay down there. You know, stay in the air and easily sucked in. Now, I've I've had this discussion as well um, with other engineers and and scientists in this field, and the point is it can be counted, but at those larger sizes. Um, they're generally not getting pulled into the, this system when you're talking about a clean room application. I'm sure if you were to, um, you know, you would have some indication uh, for these larger particles if you were to dump them into a funnel or in an isokinetic probe on top of it. Uh, but to actually take an air sample with a pump of particles that are free floating within the air, you're generally not going to be getting them higher than the point, you know, the, the, the PM10. Now, yes, it's argued that they do they do suspend in the air, but they're typically falling debris. Well, let me let me clarify a little. A lot of our listeners do post remediation verification, or they may even be doing some sampling with a particle counter while there's remediation of, let's say, mm -hmm. mold or asbestos or very lead popular. Or and, in, and during that remediation, you do see some larger particles airborne there. I'm just curious. So it sounds like they, if they got into the chamber, they would be counted as a part of the 10 micrometer size range. Correct. Because when you're, you know, it, it goes to, you know, when you're seeing a reading, say, for 0.3 micron size particles, right? Yep. And which is uh, another, you know, point to, to talk about. When you're looking at a value... It's literally counting all the particles from the smallest size capable all the way up to the largest particle that it can count. What we do then is you can actually you look at the sigma and see the total count of all particles, or mathematically you can, you know, off of our, say, our portable units, you can actually just look at the value of um, that, that, say, in this case, we're at the highest one, the 10, the, the 10 micron. Um, it's going to see everything that's 10 micron and above. I see. Okay, and at point three, we're going to see everything that's point three and above. But then you subtract out the exactly. It subtracts out mathematically, so. right? Within the algorithm and within the firmware, it actually takes out the channels that are above it. I see. I see. But okay. you can also on our unit, you, there is actually on our uh, portables, the thirty nine ten and thirty nine oh five, our one cfm and uh, fifty liter per minute units. 
um, there's actually right on the touch screen while you're either during the reading or after the reading, you can just hit a little button and it'll actually give you the sigma or uh, the corrected value. Okay. Now, let me ask a quick one on this. As far as you, the difference between a three-channel and a five- or a six-channel laser particle counter, the OPC model that's pretty commonly sold in this industry, and I've seen one channel, um, you know, that, that just does one at a time, uh, essentially. But there's a big price difference. So I might be able to get a one channel for, let's say, 1500 uh, Your three channel comes in at, what, uh, 1800 somewhere in that range? Um, yeah, seven, yeah, 1780 I think, is the list on our uh, 3887 model, correct. Okay, and then when I get up to a, a, your five, or I think you're, you have a five, and, or do you have a six? It's a, it's a five channel, correct? The three eight eight six is a five channel unit. When I get up to your five channel, my price is more like three thousand um, uh, dollars. Correct, twenty twenty nine eighty, I believe. Correct. Why the big price difference between the two? Is it because of the the software in there, the the calculations that it's able to do, or is there uh, additional hardware involved? Maybe you could let our listeners understand a little better why the price. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and this is not with all vendors, but I'm just going to reference Canomax uh, here to, to answer this question. Um, here's an example. Now, you do have different plastics. You have different molds. You might have different firmware features. Um, our five-channel has additional features and accessory options that the three-channel, which is more basic, doesn't offer, like you can have environmental probes, uh, temperature and RH. We also have a velocity probe because we're well known with our 64 years of being a, um, uh, one of the most accurate manufacturers of thermal anemometry. So we integrate those types of features that can be used with the particle counter. So that differentiates the pricing, what's built into the firmware, and how it's, how it's developed. Now, in the actual counter itself, all right, in the optics, the optics to the 3887 are very similar to the optics that are in the 3886. The difference in price, if we were to say the two meters were actually identical, the same cases, and I wanted to make that one meter turn that into a five-channel or a six-channel meter, it becomes the precision and the time involved in creating the additional channels in the firmware and in the calibration. Okay. Okay. All right, so in other words, the laser optics could be identical from both meters. So we're, you know, where does that additional cost come from? The additional costs come from the precision required in adding the additional channels in the calibration technique in a production environment. I see. I see. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. And that's always something I never quite understood, Tom. I appreciate that. No I, problem. Uh, Jess, Cliff, I don't have a clock in front of me. I have no idea what time it is. Let me turn it back to you for a minute, Cliff. Besides, i got to go get a charger for my phone here, but I'll be, I'll be listening in. No, no problem. Well, we have a text question uh, that we'd like to get to, Tom, if you could comment on it. And the text question is, based upon this discussion, is it therefore advisable to perform multi-level particle counting within the testable environment? Now, when they're saying multi-level I'm not, uh, that's, um... Well, I, I think because the particle counter might have multi-channel. I think they're probably referring to multi-channel. Well, it, it comes down to, um, there's actually some really good documentation. And, and Cliff, um, you know, through your blog and your website, I'd be glad to give you um, 
uh, a spreadsheet or a PDF document that you can offer to your listeners um, that actually shows the federal standard and the ISO 14644 standard uh, for the ISO classifications of how many particles per cubic meter of air, or in case of the federal standard, how many particles per cubic foot of air um, are permissible at a specific standard or certification level based on the, a particular size, you know, whether it be five micron, you know, uh, to, you know one micron, 0.5 micron, and so on. Perfect. I think we would like to have those documents. Actually, the listener... Be glad, I'd be glad to share it. Uh, the listener clarified his question. What he meant by multi-level, I, I misinterpreted it. What he meant was, uh, should they do it near the ceiling in the room? Should they do it, you know, ha uh, halfway down in the room, like in the middle of the room, and then at the floor level? No, again, I've seen it done in various ways. Um, there are some really good documents on how to certify a clean room. Now, if now, how do we you know if we want to apply that to specifically to an IAQ or remediation project? You know, it's it's very flexible. Um, I've seen clean room environments where they're actually taking um, an isokinetic probe off the end of a uh, long piece of uh, uh, conduit and uh, running their tubing up to it and then having it attached and taking readings very high up within the environment as you know and near a filter bank as well as you know down at the midpoint you know to desktop level the workspace environment where the actual work is being done um, as well as uh, pinpointing uh, different areas within say like a pharmaceutical production where you're um, you know having compounding going on or you have um, uh, vials being filled with medication, and you can have actual, um, you know, different locations actually within that process requiring, you know, measurement. So it's, there's no exact set area depending upon, you know, again, especially when we're talking just IAQ um, for remediation purposes. Uh, clean room certification, there are some more uh, guidelines, and I can also offer that. We have um, what I'd like to consider the Idiot's Guide to Particle Counting. <laughs> it's actually a practical guide to particle counting. Um, it was written by uh, one of our uh, OEM customers, uh, another manufacturer of uh, particle counters, and it's a very great resource, and I'd be glad to offer that all, as well as uh, uh, something that you can offer to download to your readers. Perfect. I mean, listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what will happen is I, I kind of write the, the blog immediately after the show. I, I send it out to the guests, and then you have the opportunity to add it, correct it, and, and so on and so forth. No, no problem. And it goes out as part of next week's announcement for the show, so we'll have plenty of time to, you know, to get those uh, links from you. There was one thing that we didn't cover, and uh, I, I'd like to know just how much does – is the cost different to calibrate – your different handheld meters. Absolutely. And okay. again, this goes back to what I was talking about with the precision of, say, a three-channel versus the amount of time. And the actual materials are, are rather expensive. The, the actual uh, particulate, uh, right. the NIST traceable particles, um, in this case, not to make a plug for Thermo, but uh, Thermo Scientific is very well known for their uh, NIST traceable particles and uh, recognized in the industry. So I don't mind mentioning that. Um, that's what we utilize within our particle generation lab here in New Jersey. Um, so the amount of time and the actual materials necessary to complete a calibration, uh, as well as the additional expense if we were to perform as found and as left data, becomes even higher. Um, so it, it, there are different levels to 
the actual calibration. These can range from a simple calibration on a three-channel being around 340 less to uh, upwards of five, six hundred dollars, depending upon the instrument and how many channels. Okay, gotcha. Well, let me let me follow up real quick before we take our halftime break. Um, did you? I want to make sure I I have this clear and the listeners have it clear. When you mentioned the the six-channel laser particle counter, the OPC type that you have. Did you say that also, that price includes a, a velocimeter or velocical or whatever you call that? Well, uh, no, in this in this case with our portables, um, uh, I was talking referring before between the 3887 and the 3886, the three-channel and the five-channel handheld. The three-channel handheld does have accessory options. It's not a, a it's not standard with the unit, but they are accessory options to have an RH and temperature probe uh, to be able to log that information as well, uh, real time during your event, and also to have a velocity probe so that you can actually measure the uh, flow coming from, say, a VLF or uh, the filter bank um, or your ventilation uh, within that clean room environment or that room environment. Um, one of the really nice features of our uh, portable units, the 3905 and the 3910, um, it utilizes a combined probe, whereas the 3886 has two different probes to do those three different environmental features, temp, RH, and velocity. The portables actually have our high-quality, high-accuracy um, thermal anemometer probe from our ClimoMaster series. The logic is built into the, portable particle, into the portable particle counter so that it's doing combined velocity, temperature, and relative humidity. And it's a high-accuracy 2% uh, of reading thermal anemometer as well. Um, we have a standard accessory package that includes a two-meter cable, but because of the portable being on, usually on a push cart or on a bench top, depending upon how you're working in that environment, we offer up to 20-meter up to cable options. So you can actually walk around the room and measure the velocity of your filter bank, um, of the ventilation ports, and to understand the airflow within the environment while you're doing your clean room certification. What, what does uh, that three probe uh, attachment cost? Uh, the, the ballpark, about $650, including the cable and the probe. Uh, the probe as a standalone item is like $500, and then the cable obviously is, is coupled in with that. Uh, the standard package is a two-meter cable with the probe, but like I said, we also have accessory cable lengths available. I see. Well, let me uh, turn it back to the Z-Man and Jess. I think it's real close to halftime here. It is. We're on halftime, and I think we're going to go to uh, our news report with Glenn Selman uh, before our sponsors, Joe. Okay, Glenn. Hello. Hey. Great. Well, hello, Glenn. Good to have you. Uh, great to be here. How are you, Cliff? How are you, Joe? We're doing great. well. Good. I hope you're doing well as well. Absolutely. Good holidays for Thanksgiving and uh, looking forward to the wind down on the year. Absolutely. But uh, there is no wind down in the news for indoor air quality. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at ieconnections.com, we've got uh, articles up every day, probably two to five new ones and some pretty big stuff. I'm going to go over a uh, couple of the latest breaking stories, and then tell you what's trending this week. Thank you. 
All right. Well, uh, first of all, here's a shocker. The World Health Organization has uh, basically announced that breathing results in cancer. And that may sound a little uh, odd, a little facetious, but it's not. Uh, a specialized cancer agency of the World Health Organization, uh, you probably know it, it's the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or the IARC. Uh, it announced that it has classified outdoor air pollution as carcinogenic to humans. Uh, after reviewing the latest you know, available scientific literature, these world's leading experts uh, convened by the IARC monographs program concluded there's sufficient evidence that exposure to outdoor air pollution causes lung cancer. And they also noted a positive association with an increased risk of bladder cancer. Particulate matter, uh, which is a major component, obviously, of outdoor air pollution, was evaluated separately, and it was also classified as carcinogenic to human. Now, what's interesting here is that we're not just talking about, you know, the world's most polluted cities. This isn't, uh, you know, a, f a phenomenon in uh, Beijing and Mexico City and Los Angeles. Uh, although the, the composition of air pollution and the levels of exposure can vary dramatically between locations, according to the World Health Organization, World Health Organization, the conclusions of the working group apply to all regions of the world. And uh, I'm going to quote here uh, from uh, Dr. Dana Loomis, the deputy head of the monograph section, quote, our task was to evaluate the air everyone breathes rather than focus on specific air pollutants. The results from the reviewed studies point to the same direction. The risk of developing lung cancer is significantly increased in people exposed to air pollution, which is kind of everybody. So now we extrapolate that and we point to those uh, often cited EPA statistics of how indoor air pollution is, you know, five to a hundred times worse than uh, uh, outdoor air pollution, and uh, how much more carcinogenic is indoor air pollution, uh, based on the fact that uh, the World Health Organization is pointing to particulate as being a major uh, contributor to cancer. Uh, in lung cancer. Uh, your guest may have some comments on that after the news segment today. Yeah, pretty apropos here for this show, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on, uh, there's been some things happening here domestically in, in, uh, in the United States that are pretty interesting. Uh, on November 14th, uh, there was a message delivered to Congress that IAQ must be a national priority. Solving indoor air quality problems in America's homes, schools, and businesses was uh, discussed uh, at a by several speakers at a Capitol Hill briefing on November 14th. The briefing was part of an effort by the High Performance Building Congressional Caucus Coalition to inform members of Congress and their staff about the major impact of uh, indoor environmental, the major impact that indoor environments have on health and productivity. Uh, the Indoor Air Quality Association and ASHRAE were lead sponsors of the uh, briefing. I had the opportunity to be there. It was a great opportunity, and uh, it was super to see so many people from government agencies and uh, um, staffers for uh, Congress as well in attendance to, to hear about indoor air quality. Now, I don't think there's any connection between that story and my next story, but yesterday uh, President Obama did something that uh, has some correlation. Uh, he's ordered the government to step up energy efficiency. Uh, President Obama signed an order yesterday, uh, an executive order, directing the federal government to consume 20% of its electricity from renewable resources by 2020, more than double the current level. Uh, 
The president said, meeting this energy goal will reduce pollution in our communities, promote American energy independence, and support homegrown energy produced by American workers. Uh, that's what he said when he signed the order. Now, following the federal agency's commitment over the past two years to a pipeline of $2.3 billion in performance-based contracts for energy efficiency upgrades, the administration also announced federal agencies will further expand their use of performance-based contracts through 2016 to upgrade the energy efficiency of federal buildings. So a lot of this effort is is directed right at buildings, and the which is you know, consumes about 40% of our uh, our fossil fuels. So uh, big big news out of the federal government. Anybody involved in green building work who's uh, on the GSA schedule will be happy with this news. One last uh, news item for you. Uh, this is a research item. Uh, a possible link between mold and Parkinson's disease has been discovered. Scientists at Rutgers and Emory Universities have discovered a compound often emitted by mold may be linked to symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Researchers at the School of Environmental and Biological Sciences at Rutgers used fruit flies to establish the connection between the compound popularly known as mushroom alcohol and the malfunction of two genes involved in the packaging and transport of dopamine, which is the chemical released by nerve cells to send messages to other nerve cells in your brain. Uh, Parkinson's has been linked to exposure to environmental toxins, but the toxins were man-made chemicals, uh, one of the researchers said. In this paper, we show that biological compounds have the potential to damage dopamine and cause Parkinson's symptoms. Uh, it's pretty neat because one of the authors um, was uh, a victim of Hurricane Katrina and got very, very sick and um, used her own experience to um, draw the correlation. Or She had a hypothesis that volatiles were involved in, in her illness and she had resulted, uh, resulted from her exposure to, to high levels of mold. Uh, and then she worked with other researchers to basically prove her hypothesis. All now, of those what? stories are available uh, at ieconnections.com. Uh, just go to our website. Uh, you don't need to register. You don't need to log in. You can just read them. Hey, Glenn, before you go, um, there was another article yesterday about that the lady at uh, Rutgers and her study. It was really good, and I included it on our show announcement. For those that uh, get the show announcement, there's a link to that article on today's show announcement. The other thing I wanted to mention to you was uh, in yesterday's USA Today, I believe it was a cover story. I wish I had it with me. Being on the road, of course, that's my newspaper for the week. They had an article on um, how climate change was affecting uh, indoor air quality but also outdoor air quality, and they, they noted it like a, I want to say a 10 times increase in that coccidiomycosis, uh, desert fever, valley fever, out in that California area. That I don't know if you've got an article up on that yet or not, but um, you might want to link to that USA Today article from yesterday. Well, you know, that's interesting. I, 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 we don't have that up, and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna talk to my editor about getting something up, but um, it dovetails nicely in something that just came out uh, uh, a couple weeks, about a week ago, right before Thanksgiving, which is that EPA is now offering $4.5 million for research on climate change and indoor air quality. Um, they are seeking nonprofit organizations to conduct research to improve the understanding of the effects of climate change on indoor air quality and the resulting health effects. 
uh, $4.5 million is a small amount. So uh, uh, applications are due by January 23rd. You can read about that at ieconnections.com, too, and, and uh, get the grant notice. So interesting uh, how these things dovetail together, isn't it? Great. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you can stick around for the roundup. Can I just give one more little little piece of information? Uh, if, sure. if, uh, just want to talk about real quick what's trending over the last week. We've been uh, averaging well over a thousand uh, unique uh, page viewers a, a week, several hundred a day. Um, there's a great article by Dr. Jason DeBrenick from EMSL uh, called "Preventing Legionella: ASTM and Proposed ASHRAE uh, 188 Standards." Uh, there's another article uh, about allergies and asthma and the fact that the the rate has increased by about double over the last 25 years, and uh, a new article by Dr. Harriet Burge from uh, MLab P&K on clearance testing, a uh, third in an installment. Good stuff, uh, all available at ieconnections.com. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead. We want to acknowledge our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. You can visit them at iaqa.org. We'd like to thank our sponsors. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers that provide superior environmental information through education and research. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Uh, Their website is ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where cleaning and restoration and abatement contractors buy their equipment and supplies. Visit them at www.jondon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you acquire about their products and services. Okay, back to Tom Grillo. Tom, many of our listeners clean and or balance heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. What types of testing equipment would you recommend that they use and why? Oh, wow. You just opened up a a whole plethora of information there. Um, Yeah, there's so many different directions you can go with that. Uh, Test and balancing as uh, as a discipline, obviously, you're, you're looking to balance out the ventilation rates and the airflow supply rates within the building. Um, you can do this in duct with pitot tubes and micromanometers, depending upon the flow rates. Obviously, those would be more in tune with higher flow rates, uh, greater than 400 feet per minute, uh, with velocities greater than 400 feet per minute. And um, thermal anemometry, when you're dealing with much lower flows, although most thermal anemometry uh, today goes from your very low velocities, say uh, 10, 20 feet per minute, all the way up to uh, you know 9,000, 10,000 feet per minute depending upon the manufacturer. Uh, There's rotating vane anemometry that can be used for face velocities on grills and diffusers. Although on most diffusers and ceiling grids, uh, uh, ceiling diffusers, you're going to typically 
find most test and balance professionals using capture hoods, uh, similar to those uh, manufactured by Canomax, uh, TSI, Alnor, Shortridge, uh, just to name a few of the manufacturers in that field. Um, uh, these products generally allow you for you know quick and easy access to the actual volume flow information. Um, some of them actually giving you an indication whether it's supply or return. Um, you know, if something was <laughs> accidentally uh, connected improperly by a mechanical contractor, or something was not uh, uh, isn't running properly, it's going to easily be detected. Um, it also makes for uh, with the new technologies that are coming out with this type of these types of products, you can put a capture hood on a stand up to a diffuser um, and walk away, and, and holding your smartphone or tablet, actually see uh, the CFM rate real time from the capture hood. Uh, while you're going elsewhere to adjust, say, a damper in the ceiling or uh, you know uh, somewhere else within that floor, uh, to be able to get a real-time reading while you're adjusting a damper uh, for your balancing episode. Um, another important thing that you're going to want to do with your uh, test and balance and setup of an environment is obviously uh, understanding the ventilation rates. Now, this can be done obviously by volume flow calculations, but in some cases where it's an, a, a pre-existing facility and there, it's an occupied environment, um, I'm re relating to ASHRAE 62.2 um, with the actual uh, ventilation rate calculations using either temperature or CO2. Um, Canomax offers meters like our 2211 where it does temperature, relative humidity, uh, CO and CO2 readings. And it actually allows you to calculate your percent of outside air. It meter, these meters today are so smart, they instruct you, all right, go to your supply, and it takes a reading. Um, after it finishes its reading, it instructs you to go to the return. You take your reading. Then it's telling you to go outside um, and actually giving you that calculation of percent of outside air, which goes back to what you were uh, in that news segment um, when he was talking about the uh, energy uh, initiatives of the government you know, um, indoor air quality goes hand-in-hand hand with energy savings. You know, CO2 ventilation rates, you know, using these types of instruments and monitoring and controlling makeup air um, with the actual power necessary for, say, the electric motors on blowers and your ventilation rates, maybe, you know, upgrading to VFDs and monitoring and controlling CO2 at a, at a level that's acceptable but not uh, so low as to have an increased energy use uh, but while you're still having a, um, uh, a healthy environment for the, the occupants, um, you know, you're able to utilize, uh, you know, technology like this in handheld instrumentation to monitor, uh, test, as well as fixed installed um, IAQ, 24, say, 24-7 IAQ monitors, which have become a lot more popular, which Canomax is also, uh, has also has gotten heavily involved in, where we're monitoring temperature, RH, CO, uh, CO2 levels, um, as well as other uh, parameters, different gases, uh, maybe outdoor pollutants, whether they're going to uh, reduce their ventilation from outdoor uh, based on an increased uh, ventilation, uh, increased, uh, increased traffic, say, during periods of the day. If you have a commercial building near a very high traffic uh, vehicle, uh, traffic area. Um, so these types of instruments and monitors are, you know, key to the IAQ industry and key to our uh, key to our market, but they're very key as the, the government's recognized in energy conservation. Tom, that was um, really, I, I like that uh, 
phone app with the flow hood, that's pretty slick so that you can go make your adjustment and still see, you know, I mean, you don't have to run back and forth. You can make that adjustment. How long has that been around? Um, the uh, introduction was last year at ASHRAE. I think the first uh, company to introduce this technology was uh, TSI Alnor. Uh, Canomax has a, a similar product that we'll be showing at ASHRAE this year as well. Um, you know, the, I've, I've been a firm believer since I came back to the industry 18, 19 months ago. Um, the first thing I, I said to our ownership was that the uh, R&D, the direction, has to be in line with what we're, what the, uh, what people are used to seeing. I mean, we're all holding handheld computers in our pockets these days, right? Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, access to the internet, um, immediate connection, connectivity. Um, you, you're going to see this permeating into the instrumentation industry. You're going to see, you know, uploading of data into, you know, cloud servers and having it available for use and modification and filling reports. You know, this is just the, you know, this this is going to be the progression you're going to see with this industry. Yeah, your your phone will be an IAQ monitor in the not too distant future. Well, we're already we're already on that. We have 24/7 IAQ monitors. You can put one in every classroom and and monitor CO2 ventilation rates and temp and humidity control as well. Um, you can have a unit down in the boiler room and uh, also monitoring CO just in case the boiler starts leaking uh, CO into the environment. Um, you can have like in California and a lot of commercial buildings. Um, I know in some of the banks we've worked with, they've required uh, there's a requirement for measuring methane because of the faults in the earthquake-prone areas. Um, so these are the types of sensors that we can build into these 24-7 wall-mounted transmitters that tie into a bridge, plug into your router, and send this information over the Internet to a, a server. And that information is available to the end user, uh, the customer or the agency, um, the commercial entity, or the contractor, 24-7, uh, uh, either through smartphone, tablet, computer, get text message notifications, you can get email notifications, you get different levels of alarm and indication for who gets notified when. Um, so, you know, this is this is the trend. You know, Tom, I, I'm going to have to leave in a minute here, and I know this show is going to go on. I assume Cliff is going to want to talk a little bit about this new odor detection equipment. I don't know if, uh, how much you can talk about that. We've got about 10 minutes, and I know Dr. Wow, I believe he's with us. He's going to have uh, quite a few comments. Expect we're going to run over a little bit. Do you have to run right at one o'clock, or no? I'm 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 here for the duration. Great. Well, let me let me do this, um, Tom. I want to just throw out a question for the roundup in case I'm not there, and that would be if you could just kind of uh, give our listeners a little little bit of a, a breakdown on how these particle counters today take the the particle count that that you know you get from the standard uh, particle count that we see all the time down in the different channels, and how you turn that into a, uh, a mass reading, you know, so that it's uh, somewhat comparable to, say, a PM2.5 or PM10 sample taken outdoors and then, you know, using a filter and weighing it or something along those lines. So uh, if you can just touch on that maybe during the roundup, I want to give Cliff enough time to uh, get into the odor detection. Joe, absolutely. Um, I can actually sum that up pretty quickly. Um, Canomax is involved in dust monitors. We have, we've been in particulate since the early 60s, but the um, and, and uh, in this technology, uh, lately what you're seeing is there's a trend where some of the particle counting manufacturers are saying, okay, we have 
this uh, light laser diode light scattering uh, technology with these optics to be able to read the particles and count them and you know put them into channels and give you a count for clean room monitoring. Now let's build an algorithm into this that then turns this into a this little handheld or portable unit into a dust monitor. Um, we have dedicated units. We have dedicated dust monitors, which are very affordable. Um, there are some really uh, nice, high-quality, adjustable pump flow rate units out there with interchangeable uh, interchangeable impactors. Um, very high quality, very I mean, really nice units out there. Uh, much higher, you know, higher price point than say just buying a handheld laser particle uh, 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 laser particle counter or a uh, smaller dedicated portable. Um, dust monitor similar to say our model 3443, uh, but they are actually taking this algorithm now and making a calculation and saying that this is your now not just a count, but this is the mass per cubic meter, or in most cases you're going to see it represented as milligrams per cubic meter, um, which is typical of a, a, an OSHA requirement or an industrial hygiene uh, application to understand you know, what is the exposure for the uh, occupants or the workers in a specific environment. Um, in most cases, you're going to want to you know, have these devices uh, and take a measurement, but understand that you know that's great if you're going to be um, in an area similar to what the standard is. Now, what I mean is most of these dust monitors, laser light scattering uh, uh, dust monitors, are calibrated to a road dust standard. It used to be called Arizona road dust, and I used to joke with people, well, that's great if you're in Arizona and you're on the side of the road. Um, which is really funny until a guy from a quarry in Arizona called me and said, no, this will work for us. Um, but you could be in Vermont in a pine wood factory um, and have uh, very light, um, very light, less dense particulate in the air than, say, uh, the silica of, of Arizona road dust. Or you could also be in a much heavier, um, more of a heavy metal environment like, say, uh, uh, stainless steel welding facilities. You know, so the particulate density is going to be different. So what right. you want to do typically with these types of devices, especially if you're a safety director um, or a professional and you're buying one of these for a specific environment, you're a consultant going into a facility and you're going to be a, they're a repeat customer, that first time in with that device, so long as their procedures and their processes don't change drastically with the types of materials that they're using, you're going to want to do a gravimetric sample. You're going to want to draw a real-time sample at the same time you're doing your time-weighted average with the electronic device. Then once you, most of these devices allow you then to afterwards, you get that gravimetric sample result back from the lab and you do the comparison. And then there's a, a calculation that you can, you know, um, you can refer to and then put in a K factor, a correction factor. And that's going to get you close enough so that you're close to the density of the actual material that you're measuring in that, in that particular environment and not just reading it to a road dust standard. Uh, Does that make sense? <laughs> That's absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for doing that. And I'll, I'll turn it back to Cliff to finish up. And, uh, Tom, I, uh, we definitely have to talk after the show. I'll try and touch base with you next week, maybe. Awesome. Glad to hear That's from you, Joe. Appreciate it. Okay, Tom. Yeah, what I'd like to do is really move into really your odor monitor. And, you know, I'd like to make a statement that, you know, the human nose is both very sensitive and, and very complex. And, but we, as humans, can instantly detect and identify odors in really small quantities, as low as parts per million, even sometimes parts per billion. 
you know, would it be accurate to classify the Canamax odor monitor as an e-nose or electronic nose? You, I would rather classify it as a sniffer. Okay. Um, you know, you you know, there's different levels of this. Um, you can have a unit that has a more of a. Um, I don't want to get into say the real high end stuff because we're talking. It, it really takes us out of the the realm of handheld instrumentation here. But you know, where you can have a portable mass spec unit, maybe a time of flight unit, um, that can be turned into a sniffer. Uh, with a catalog, and you're basically going to replace that beagle at the TSA inspection or, you know, looking for specific compounds, explosives, uh, contraband, whatever it might be, and, and actually getting direct readings and, and a readout off of a catalog based on those types of compounds that it's measuring real time. Um, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars versus a handheld unit like this where what we're doing is we're measuring the strength and creating a classification of a value versus a ambient clean air environment. Meaning, if I took this uh, particular odor meter that we're currently um, bringing to market just over this past year, half year that we've launched since last IAQ meeting when we first showed, we first started showing this out of Japan. Um, the first here, here's I was I was a little skeptical at first because having come from you know this is a gas monitor this is what it reads it's in parts per million this is how it's calibrated and I wasn't seeing that same um, application to this technology even though it is using uh, different types of sensors and and or a dual sensor technology where it's two different ranges of say a similar uh, type of sensor. And based on those two sensors and an algorithm for those readings, you can take an odor, a specific type of odor that emits a particular type of gas. All right, and again, that's what we're actually, uh, you know, the nose, like you said, is so sensitive. That's what we're actually detecting. Um, you know, we can't smell SF6, but that's why we use, um, you know, SF6 vapor analyzers when we're doing ASHRAE 110 fume hood testing. You know, a couple parts per billion or a couple parts per million of a particular compound might not be noticeable to us, but it is noticeable to a, um, a semiconductor type sensor or other type uh, technology type sensors. Now, this odor meter in particular that we're introducing um, is not as advanced as, say, the cryonos, which you had mentioned uh, to me previously when we were talking um, uh, prior to the show. And uh, our, our unit basically takes a reading of an, of an ambient air and environment. So if I'm an IAQ specialist and I go into an environment and this is uh, typical clean air, I'm going to have basically a zero reading. But once I'm introducing different compounds or different elements within that airborne uh, air that we're able to draw in to this, to this unit and draw a sample, it creates a strength and classification versus the two different sensors internally. And it's not going to classify to tell you what it is, but based on what we're expecting to find or what we're looking for, it will give a value. Now, how has that become useful? Well, as a, when we first introduced this unit and we had our first sample unit here in our offices in New Jersey, um, I sprayed a little bit of Lysol into the room, in our conference room, and I sprayed it into um, uh, the base of one of our chairs, you know, where someone sat. Um, 
just I sprayed it right into the seat. And then I came out of the room and I handed the meter to a, a marketing assistant and I asked them to go into the room just using this meter and explaining the strength indication to try to find the source of the odor. Now, as soon as he walked in the room, he could smell Lysol. And again, that's the sensitivity of our nose. But where was it coming from? That was the key. So as he walked the room with this meter, he was actually able to see an increase in the strength as he got closer to the chair. And once he was able to target that it was right in that area and he got closer down to the chair, that's when he got his strongest reading. So we had a source. So that is along the lines of how this unit can be used. Now, there's three different units. One of them is sensitive more towards, um, say, ammonia. And, you know, that would be very, in, you know, in, in hydrogen sulfides and things like that. Uh, that would be very useful with, say, you know, uh, from an indoor uh, remediation uh, aspect. You know, I don't know how many of them have ever been called in because a, a previous tenant uh, in, an, in an environment had cats. All right, you can walk into the room, you can smell it, but what's the source? Find it. That's where this becomes useful. Um, we have an SRM unit where it's looking at uh, hydrogen, acetones, and ethanols, and that can be useful in other areas. Uh, we also have a, a VOC unit, the TDM version, and again, it's looking at total VOCs um, calibrated to toluene with two different sensors at two different ranges, and based on the reading from either sensor and then an algorithm between the two, we're able to then increase and show strength as well as um, uh, classification, which goes along the lines of when you're talking about VOC detectors and reaction factors. Gotcha. Well, l let me ask you, what, um, you know, I know that the Cyrano's unit, if I'm not mistaken, is around $8,000. Exactly. But what's the price range for the uh, the Canamax odor monitors? It's under nineteen hundred now at list. I believe it's eighteen eighty list. Okay. And um, you know, it's it's we're exploring this market. It's uh, it's definitely like I said, it's not it's not the uh, Cyrano's which does classification and is much more complicated. It's more of a, uh, I, I almost want to call it a handheld spectrometer, even though it's not a a mass spectrometer, but it does have a catalog in its firmware that identifies compounds based on the different sensors internally. And uh, very, very impressive piece of equipment. But like you said, and that's what we're pointing out here, that's an $8,000 piece of equipment. That's a hefty investment into a piece of equipment um, as opposed to something that might help you out more and be more affordable in a lower range uh, with, say, the uh, odor meter. You know, the one thing that you know I, I can comment on, and this is something that uh, people that do fire restoration, you know, encounter fairly often is, you know, whether or not the smoke odor, uh, you know, remains or what percentage of it remains. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, smoke odor becomes an issue. And I'm wondering if you would recommend one of the three over the others uh, if it was smoke odor, you know, if you could kind of make a recommendation. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't think that I will, and uh, only because I would probably want to see that uh, tested before I did that, um, only because of the nature of the smoke odor. Most of your smoke odor is actually an airborne particulate, um, not just a gas. You know, um, It could be related to a gas that was from combustion, but you're 
typically after that amount of time, that amount of ventilation, that much cleaning, the amount of cleaners that have been in the room, you're going to also have other things that have become aerosolized or airborne that could interfere with that. Right. So like you said, the nose is so sensitive, we're still going to smell, you know, the burns, you know, that odor from the, the actual fire. Um, having lived through that myself as a child, uh, we had a kitchen fire and, uh, you know, had the remediation company come in after the kitchen fire and, you know, put everything back to right. But just to me, it always didn't seem just right when my room and, and I was like, man, I still smell that. <laughs> but uh, trying to find that, I think, would be, um, you know, uh, with which meter in particular would be able to detect something along those lines and, and provide a strength and classification. Um, again, it, it would take some testing and some understanding of what we're actually looking for beyond just the particulate of the um, uh, carbon, uh, the burnt material, that's creating that uh, ability for your nose to pick up that PPM level of particulate, airborne particulate, that's giving you that sensation, you know, to, that, that stimulus to your, to your senses. Um, very similar to people that have, you know, in, you know, not to go away from IAQ, but in the pest industry, actually, we're looking at uh, the opportunity with this product because, you know, you have, uh, uh, they complain about the smell. Something smells like it died in the wall, right. you know, and it becomes very expensive to start opening up cavities in your wall and having, a, you know, the uh, exterminator coming and trying to find it. <clears throat> well, a decaying body gives off specific gases. Absolutely, right. So then it becomes a, a matter of, well, actually, you, you do have something that could work in this case. Um, and again, I wouldn't recommend it unless, of course, we were going to test it first. And I'm actually working through this right now with some uh, experts in that field um, that have come to us and actually approached us and said, hey, this would be ideal for finding, you know, uh, dead rodents under houses or in walls. You know, right. this is a big issue in the pest industry. So I'm sure it also, you know, trickles over and equates into the indoor quality industry as well when you have, uh, you know, remediation companies that come in and they say, we smell death, <laughs> you know, very, very distinct odor, you know, decaying bodies, and our noses are very sensitive to that. Um, but, but try to locate it, you know, that, that, becomes the te that becomes the issue. So here we are trying to test and see exactly how our sensors can, can work in that particular application, and we're currently testing that. Well, we're actually out of time, and we always want to give our guests the last word. Is there any final comment that you'd like to make or anything that you'd like to add? Well, first, I, I want to just say thank you for having me on the show today, for providing this venue to the Indoor Quality Marketplace and to the professionals of this industry, um, you know, by having guests like myself on board to be able to share our information and our knowledge and, and uh, in this case, even maybe give a, uh, a plug for the company. <laughs> Um, you know, Canomax USA, we're, we're dedicated to IAQ um, and test and balance. We're, we're very um, interested in what the marketplace is looking for, uh, what the customers are looking for. Uh, we try to be technical resources for the people that reach out to us and come to us with their applications and, um, you know, solve those problems for them either with our own equipment or with uh, when, when necessary. We actually recommend what's actually right for them, even if it's not ours. Um, so... Again, we're looking forward to uh, uh, seeing more uh, involvement with uh, the governmental agencies with IAQ-related issues, whether it be internal uh, as well as outdoor, indoor, uh, outdoor air quality issues. Um, again, with us being involved in monitoring and measuring in both fields, um, 
you know, again, if there's anything special that any reader, uh, uh, listener wants to ask me specifically, you know, feel free to reach out through the uh, uh, through the radio show, and I'd be glad to help you. What's your contact information, Tom? Um, I can be reached at T Grillo T G R I L L O at Canomax USA.com, and that's K A N O M A X USA.com. Uh, actually, uh, another text question just came in, if I can pose it. Uh, can the odor sensing uh, device, uh, can it detect MVOCs? It's total VOCs. It's okay. VOC. yeah. All right, so it would be total VOCs. So I think it could be helpful there. So before we leave, we want to thank today's guest, Tom Grillo, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our engineer, Jessica Watson, our radio newsman, Glenn Thelman. We want to mention our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing audience of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IEQ Radio. You've been talking in circles. I've been able to cry. There's never been any reason. You're never telling me why. Yeah, yeah.